Welcome to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. In this podcast, we talk with business owners, exit advisors, and a host of others to help you not just exit your business, but execute an elite exit by maximizing transaction value on your terms and without regret. Let's get right to it. Hi, it's Mike Quinlan, and welcome to part two of my conversation with Rob Swartwood and John Marsh. In the first episode, we spoke about their experience with deals in 2023 and the first two key drivers to increasing transferable value of your business in 2024. Today, I hope you'll sit back and enjoy the rest of our conversation about the I'm Good Checklist and the Outlook for 2024. Also, please join me at EliteExit.com to learn more about preparation for your Elite Exit. We rejoin the conversation discussing the importance of top-line growth. Okay, top-line growth. Top-line growth is different than increasing cash flow. We're talking about revenues now. We're talking about growth of your business and the ability to articulate what that vision of growth is. And I think, John, I'm going to throw this out there and see what you think about it. But I always tell people, if you've got a great plan for growth that you can't execute, you should write it down and tie it to some kind of pro forma financial statement because you're telling the story. And now I'm going to switch over to the sales guy who does this for a living and tell me what you think about that. Well, and then that's right. There's a story here to tell. I tell all my clients at the beginning, we need to talk about why you started this business, what problem it solved in the marketplace. Two, what makes your business special? Why is it unique? But three, what's the story for growth? And being able to articulate that and to an extent, executing on it is important. When we are engaged, we tell our clients that they need to keep the pedal to the metal. We cannot, through this process, show declining revenue growth. We can't always control that, but we need to be running this business harder now than we ever have. Most deals are retraded in some way, shape, or form. Now, our competitive process hopefully mitigates that because we do have other options if this buyer gets squirrely, but we don't want to give them a reason to retrade. And top-line revenue not growing or declining is one of the number one reasons deals are retraded. And if they're not retraded, then they just take longer. Buyers so let desperate. me just stop you for a minute. Yeah. And when you say retrade, just yeah. so everybody knows what you're talking about, right. what, what does that mean? Yeah, so we sign, or not we, but the, the client signs an LOI that Rob's looked at. And those are the terms of the agreement, non-binding, with the exception of exclusivity and confidentiality and some other terms. But it outlines the deal. The buyer's then going to do due diligence and really roll up their sleeves and understand the financials, the operations, the legal aspects of this business, environmental risks. They're going to look at everything. And maybe it's not appropriate, but I call it a colonoscopy without the drugs. They are going to look at everything. So my point here is that you've really got to understand what's going on and grow that business so you're not retraded because we don't want to give a reason for someone to say, hey, the business I looked at when I went under LOI is different than the business that I'm buying today. So focusing on that growth, that top line revenue growth, and ultimately profitability too, through this process is key. Okay. Did that answer your question about the retrade, the changing of the financial terms from Absolutely. the LOI to the purchase Absolutely. Agreement? Part of the podcast here is that, that we get you guys on here and, and the terminology yeah. that you're throwing around every day you're doing business. And sometimes the listeners don't necessarily understand the code words that you're all using. So you'll hear me every now and then ask you for that. Rob, what have you seen this year with relation to uh, difficulties or successes in the growth component of doing deals? 
I have a deal right now that's that's on pause because the client did not have a great fourth quarter and and the parties are evaluating their go forward strategy and they'll determine if they're going to do a deal and if so is there going to be an adjustment I think what I'd like to say here is the relationship the deals have with risk particularly if there is a financial acquire private equity firm on the other side of the deal private equity wants to optimize cash flow. They want to optimize rate of return and they want to minimize risk. They're almost allergic to it in a lot of ways. So they're constantly looking at the value and they're constantly looking at what threatens that value. And when you've got a, when they're building a model behind the scenes as to how they're going to get paid back for the cash that they're about to give you at the closing table, your business's ability to generate revenue up to and through the closing under their ownership has got to work within that model. No one is ever going to tell you that there is a model. No one's ever going to show it to you. No one's ever going to give you an understanding of what the assumptions are that are built into that model. But there is a model. If we think about the model as being the box that represents the range of acceptable possibilities for how a deal can get done, with that particular buyer, then when we see revenues declining, the models start, it's like throwing sand in the gears of the model. And these financial acquirers in particular can't deal with that. <laughs> what goes in must come out and it must equal something else. There are no, there typically are not many adjustments that need to be made to the model that aren't somehow going to adjust deal terms. So oftentimes what we see in this particular category, if a business has suffered in revenue growth, now that the deal that John commented on, the client actually grew their revenue throughout the deal and said, I should be paid more money. And John and I looked at each other and said, yes, that would be very nice. Right. However, we don't get to retrade the buyer unless we threaten to walk. And that's not very common. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it could happen. Uh, more common is that the buyer would look for ways to say, we don't think your revenue stream is growing, or if even if it is growing, we don't think it's growing at a sustainable rate. So we're going to normalize this a little bit, and we're going to assign a larger portion of that to post-closing contingent payments, which could be an earnout. It could be right. a promissory note. There could be some sort of indemnity. This is where you see buyers insisting upon the collectability of accounts receivable. We don't like to guarantee accounts receivable. The way we think about accounts receivable is that you have historical collection patterns and those patterns speak for yourself. If your revenue, if you're collecting receivables at a rate of 98%, then that's what you should, that's what the buyer should assume is going to happen with the receivables being acquired from you at closing. If they don't like those receivables, they should exclude them from working capital and that should be specifically negotiated, but under no circumstances should be you be guaranteeing the collectability of accounts receivable that you won't actually own in the post-closing period. So we see buyers come at this problem from multiple different angles. And if you don't know what they're concerned about, and if you don't understand how they attack the problem, then you can't actually defend against it. Yeah, that's all great stuff. And, I, and it's really important because we've seen so many deals either be put on the shelf or take way too long because you're having to work through all of those points. 
And one of the things about growth is not something that you're going to fix in two months. Right. If you're coming to market and you don't have good top line growth, then you're not going to fix it in two months. And so this really goes to the preparation to take your company to market. You have to have a timeline in which your plan to execute this phase of your business career. If you don't have that timeline, then it's really hard to, to work back to prepare all of these different elements. Growth is part of your strategy. Growth is something that takes capital. Growth is something that takes management and leadership and is not something that can be done in a matter of a couple of months, but is a critical factor in valuation and marketability of your company. Through this due diligence process, we're constantly updating the trailing 12 months, the TTM period of both an income statement that shows revenue and profitability. And it matters. It, it matters. If you put just before closing a down month that's significantly down, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so what are you telling your clients as you're evaluating whether or not you're going to take them and you look at their trailing financials? How do you talk to them about growth? Yeah, we, we try to understand it. We talked about the stickiness of it. Is it reoccurring? Um, how, how does it, who's responsible in-house for it? But is there seasonality in it, right? So we want to under, understand historical trends on the commercial residential tree company. The fall was slower than the summertime. When we saw that dip, we understood it and we were able to explain it and it was consistent with historical periods. We understood that. We knew it was coming and the buyer knew it was coming, so it wasn't a big deal. But if there's not that understanding of those historical trends and a good hold on, a good understanding or hold on the financials of the business that's not, that's explainable, we have to show a grasp and understanding of that. So we try to understand the nuances of every business, right? But we also have to tell the story. And sometimes the story is not good, yep. right? We're not going to hide the hair. Yep. You know, we are going to take every problem and bring it up to the buyer before they find it. I think that shows integrity honesty is the right thing to do in these processes. Yeah. But it's really just understanding it and getting ahead of any problems that come. So um, pipeline backlog, uh, explaining that too is also an important component. It hasn't hit your income statement yet, but is it coming and yeah. why is it coming? So understanding the funnel that's to come and hit in future periods is also something that we need to track through this process as well. So it's not only the historical periods in the TTM, but it's also the future periods. Yeah, I'm going to say one last thing about growth, and then we're going to move on. And that is that your buyer has got a vision for growth for you. They're not buying your company unless they know how they can grow it, how they can integrate it into their either their platform of companies or a strategic bolt-on to the company that they have. So you did allude to financial statements. I'm going to go straight to Rob on this one yeah. because he was very passionate earlier today as he talked about companies with poor financial statements. Rob? Let's talk about how marketable is a company and how easy is it for you to negotiate as an attorney if the financial statements are, I think, what did you call them? Crap? Yeah. Gently, I did say that. That with, was before with, we with were kindness. recording, Mike. Yeah, with <laughs> kindness. People weren't supposed to hear that. Yeah. Everybody thinks their financial statements are gold. And I would tell you that when your company is being evaluated by one of the top four accounting firms in the country, and if you're selling to a large strategic or financial acquirer, you can expect that they will be, if not the top four, the next four. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are very sophisticated accountants look, traditionally looking at your the work that your local accountant has done for the last 20 to 30 years. 
There's nothing wrong with your local accountant, but we need to understand that your local accountant has been in the business of helping you account for your business and has been selling you tax returns and financial statements for however long you've been using them. They are the least objective person on your deal team. And and, and that can be a problem. It, again, there's nothing, we don't want to make people feel bad about what they've done, but we need to help people understand how what they've done looks to the outsider. And it is not likely that the buyer would account for the results and performance of your business in the way that you have. If you understand that up front and you are willing to engage in an objective review of what you've done, you can oftentimes shift your perspective to the buyer's perspective and beat the buyer at his or its own game by cleaning up your financials. I think that's important. I think it's necessary. It becomes critical when we get down to negotiating working capital in transactions. It becomes critical when we start negotiating contingent payments and seeing the calculation for how those things will be determined. And what it really does is it levels the playing field for purposes of discussing closing-related financial transactions as well as post-closing financial trend. I think that's what I'm most interested in saying about that. And yeah, this isn't a 2023-2024 thing. This is a all-the-time thing. You must have the O, optimizing financial statements. you got to have it in check. John, what are you seeing when you have a client that has got poor financial statements? If, if I may, there's this thing called GAP, generally accepted accounting principles. Your, your CPA of 20 to 30 years might not be preparing your financial statements and likely are not comparing it uh, in, in a way that's consistent with generally accepted accounting principles. The buyer is going to look at it on those uh, under GAP. So you need to be prepared for accrual accounting, adjustments to the financial statements that do affect not only your top line, but also your bottom line. So if you can get ahead of that by optimizing your financials, I'm not saying you need to go and engage a firm for a sell-side QV on every deal or that you have to have an audit done every year if, if there's not a business reason for it, but you at least, at least need to understand what those adjustments are and what's coming so that you can be prepared for that. So not all CPAs are made the same. I'm a recovering accountant myself. I was probably not the best ever, but it, what it did is it gave me an understanding of what the buyer is going to do under diligence to, to move your financials from your internal preparation method to generally accepted accounting principles or yeah. to a methodology consistent with GAAP. John, you got a, you got a company that is going to sell for $7 million. You referred to something called a Q of E. Mm, First yeah. of all, what's a Q of E? And mm. if is my seven million, my little seven million dollar deal going to get a Q of E? Maybe it, one of the favorite things uh, I say. One hundred percent. Rob and I are it, looking it, at each other. Because, there's no maybe. No, <laughs> here's the thing though: SBA deal, not all Q of E quality of earnings reports right. are enough. done the same. Fair enough. Some of them are called Q of E lights. If you talk to a true quality of earnings firm like Ernst & Young, one of the big four, they're going to say you can't do a Q of E light. But some of these buyers on the SBA deals, a $7 million deal, yep. will do some confirmatory due diligence that have aspects of a quality of earnings report, but they might not do the full-fledged quality of earnings Fair Q enough. of E. Yep. But you're right. There's going to be confirmatory due diligence. There are going to be aspects of a quality of earnings report, a minimum of proof of cash, right? Yep. The cash that went into your bank account is it is it reflected in your financials? Is it really there, right? You present financial statements and income statement. Did the money hit your bank account? 
Yeah. Right. So they're going to do that work. So yes, they will do some Q of E procedures on any deal. Yeah. Rob and I have, we were laughing because we had a, had a strategic that is a private equity backed strategic mm -hmm. that did a deal like this and they were full on Q of E. And I think one of the things that owners don't understand is that quality of earnings is not just a set number. It's something that comes from the team that prepared it. Typically, the buyer is doing that, but as a seller, you have an opportunity to negotiate the queue. Absolutely. You have an opportunity to contest that. The problem is that you, as an owner, are not equipped to do it. That's no. right. And that's the deal team you talk That's about. right. So you've got to have the right people on your team to be able to do it. And John, I, you don't do that, right? You're pulling in a CPA to do that? We are, yeah. Just like I don't do the legal work, we will recast financials, we'll understand gaps, but our model is a success fee model, right? We yeah. take a very small retainer, but we ask that you build a, a deal team. You cannot get a successful deal done with just an M&A advisor or just an attorney. It takes the team who usually includes a CPA, a financial advisor, or wealth manager, an M&A attorney, sometimes an estate attorney, um, depending on the size of the deal. You had you guys had a great year for 2023 in terms of volume. One of the things I th think that makes deals sometimes difficult to do is the the whole thing about operations and documentation of operations. And in the legal sense, we're talking about contracts designability of contracts. We're looking at all of the agreements that a company operates on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe, John, in, in your world, it's more about supply chain agreements and vendor agreements, customer agreements. It's not necessarily how does my assembly line work. It's important to be able to document how that works. But it's all of these other things. And it's funny, in the I'm Good Checklist, probably the biggest area out of the whole I'm Good Checklist is the documentation of operations. But it's the thing that is addressed least mm. by businesses. So tell me a little bit about 2023 and some of the deals that you guys looked at and operational aspects, things that could have been buttoned up that caused you problems. And we don't have two hours here, but yeah. just hit the big spots. I'll just say, I agree with you. This is not something that business owners are proactive on usually. They usually say something like, oh, I've got a great accounting manager or I've got a great purchasing manager. And all that information resides in that person's head. What if that person wins the lottery and decides not to come to work? How are you going to replace them? It's going to be a scramble. Documenting what they do at a minimum job descriptions, but understanding how your ERP system works, reorder points, and putting that on a piece of paper is important. You can't rely on the institutional knowledge that resides in employees' heads. Employees retire, they move on, they do different things. So documenting these things is very important from day one of your business. Transferability of the business is what this is getting to. And if those document, if those procedures are not in SOPs or in, if they reside in employees' heads, it's a problem. It's a yep. problem. But John, if I'm a business owner and I write an SOP, you know what the problem with that is, right? I have to review it next year. <laughs> yeah, goodness gracious, you might actually have to work on your business. Yeah, I wouldn't want to have to do that. <laughs> but but I know, Rob, this is an area that you deal in really is a critical area for you. So what are a couple of just the top line things that, that you saw this year? Though? Yeah, I'll, I'll just make a global comment here. It is not uncommon 
for a business owner, whatever that business's documents are, for the business owner to think they say one thing when in fact they say something very different. The hardest day for us and the work that we do with clients is to reveal the truth to them about the business that they own and operate while they're in the process of selling it because they never actually took an independent look at it. Maybe to your point, they adopted something five years ago and they think that's changed. Their business has changed, but their policy hasn't or their approach hasn't. And they're now in the process of selling it and you can't change it. And it's really hard to fix it. And the buyer's asking questions about it in diligence where we have to be honest and tell them what we've got. And it's a, you spoke to, you spoke earlier about the emotional toll of the transaction. Things like this are, are very disruptive to business owners because you, you feel as a business owner, like you're the captain of your ship. If your business is doing well, you definitely feel like you're the captain of your ship. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm running a great ship. Everything's awesome. And then we get into due diligence, financial, tax, accounting, operational, legal, whatever. And due diligence always paints a picture of what's reality in the midst of what you believe reality to be. The great news about diligence is that you can do it anytime. Yep. You don't have to wait for a buyer to show up. The best engagements are clients that engage with us and engage with John. And we come together to develop a strategy for bringing the company to market, which oftentimes looks like gathering information and evaluating it before somebody else sees it. Even if you only have six months to do that, you've done better than someone who receives an unsolicited offer and ha is having to disclose things that they don't even understand the full weight of from the buyer's perspective. That's right. I have told every one of my clients that part of the process in working together is that they do pre-transaction due diligence so that you can uncover the areas that maybe you haven't paid enough attention to and you do have the time to fix it or you do have the time to, to put in employment agreements or do all of the things that can be critical to transferring value to that next buyer. If you have an environmental problem or if you have an ERISA problem or any of those areas that can be significantly damaging and cause you not to be able to sell your company or do it at a, in a much more difficult way, let's get those things identified and figured out and get them fixed. So this, again, is not a 2023-24 problem. This is a always problem, just like financial statements. You've got to take care of your house. So let's do one last section here. Let's talk about uh, diversifying revenue streams and uh, diversifying client base. And then we're going to wrap this thing up and get your impression of what you think 2024 is going to look like if people are doing this work, right? I call it elite preparation in order to get an elite exit. Mm. And if people are doing this work, then... 2024, no matter if it's a good year or bad year, it's going to be a better year if you're doing it. So quickly on client base or revenue stream diversification, any major issues or, or stories that you had from 2023 or outlooks for 24? Yeah, I'll just share one of the things that we do when we're doing our opinion of value for our clients as we as we're our prospects is understanding the client base, understanding what that looks like. And I don't know if 20% is the right number, but it feels like a directionally correct. And we ask, is any one relationship over 
of your of your total revenue. And you'd be surprised on the number of business owners that answer that, say, yes, it is. And that's a challenge, especially if you haven't documented it and you haven't created that stickiness and transferability of that revenue. But either way, you're going to look at a different type of deal than you would look at if you had a diversified revenue base or client base. You're going to look at more structure, lower valuation, more of an earnout. So addressing that head on, it's lovely to have a big customer and contributing to your cash flow, but that's not the ideal place to be when you're trying to market your business for sale. Yeah. Yeah. I think about this category broadly. I don't think about it from just the customer perspective. I think about it from the supplier perspective. I think about it from the intellectual property perspective. And I think about it from the perspective of any kind of accreditation or license that's necessary for the operation of your business. Anytime one thing or one, two, or three things is necessary or critical for the operation of your business, the CEO of that business, the founder, the owner, needs to have full and complete awareness of where that license or that relationship or that customer is at any given time. John and I worked on a deal this year in which there were two major licenses involved in running the business, one of which only related to less than 5% of the revenue of the business, and the buyer refused to close because they wanted that license in place as of the closing. We see these things tank transactions all the time. If you've got a relationship that's key, it's got to be transferable. If you've got a license that's key, it's got to be transferable. Accreditation, whatever, it's got to be transferable. And that kind of analysis needs to be done before the buyer even shows up. Yeah. So your perspective here is not only the customer and supplier, but you take this into a much more broad definition in that you're basically eliminating single points of failure. Right. Is what I'm hearing you say. Right. Yeah. And I like that. That works well. I think that as people are trying to grow their business and they're trying to make a better business, because really that's what all this work does. It really just goes to making a better business. And once you make a better business, you have a much more sellable business and you're able to transfer more of the value of the business to somebody else. It also opens up the ecosystem of buyers that are interested in your company. So if you get above the $10 million mark, you may have the ability to attract financial buyers or buyers that are uh, accumulating businesses on behalf of a family office. You may have the ability now to tuck in better into a strategic Growing your business, diversifying your business, making you a better business in general gives you the best opportunity to transition value in any market, 2023 market, 2022 market, and hopefully in a knock your socks off 2024 market. So what are we going to have? John, are we going to have a knock your socks off 2024 market? Uh, Yeah, we are. (laughs) I think we are, but I'll tell you what I'm going to what, what I think I'm, what, what I think we're all going to see, and that's that there's going to be a little more scrutiny on these businesses that have done the preparation. Those are going to excel and and succeed. And the the the, the businesses that transacted that transacted at record high multiples in 2021, I, I I don't think we're going to see that same level of of deal activity for those businesses. I think 
there's going to be a focus on companies that are prepared. I mean, remember, we're in the silver tsunami here. There are going to be a ton of businesses that are going to market. And you can't just, as a business owner, say, hey, I'm going to get a great deal done because it's a hot market. Right. I think you're going to get a great deal done if you've done the preparation and the work to make your business transferable, address the items that you've outlined here today in the I'm Good checklist, and really take a proactive approach to getting a deal done that works. And being prepared for that is going to really pay dividends, I think. I, I, I think those are going to do really well, and the ones that, that haven't put the work in are, are, are not going to see the same success that, that we've seen in the past couple of years. Okay, so in a sentence, 2023 versus 2024? You know, uh, my experience in the market or my exposure to the market is limited, right? We do eight deals a year and we're pretty selective on who we who we choose to work with. So I think we're going to say no a lot more in order to get the deals that we want for our clients done. All right. Um, I like that. I like that. It's 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 nice to be empowered to say no, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's I'm I'm manifesting I think what I like, would like to see in yeah. 2024. <laughs> All right, Rob, how about you? Tough to say. I think this has been the last year's been a challenging year. I think there's a good reason to believe that it's not going to get easier. I think that's the way that I want to say I like it. it. I think there's still a mandate for deals to get done, and there's a lot of cash available to make deals happen. But if if you're just now considering what it looks like to sell your company, first of all, congratulations and welcome because this is this is an important conversation delaying the process any further i don't think is of benefit i i do think that we're in contracting economic times and i think we we, we have to be honest about that so i think it behooves business owners to think seriously about what it's going to look like if they intend to exit over the next 4 to 5 years and to begin the process of taking ownership of some of the categories that we've specified today, they can take ownership of to help themselves and their company transact so that they can have an elite exit. I do think that that 2024, you know, is, is it's a, it's an election year. It will have to see how the election and politics shape up. That will have an effect one way or another on, on, on deals. I just don't think any of us can say at this point what that's going to be. Well, one thing that we can say, build a better business, be proactive about preparation. Remember that elite athletes, when they go out there and they get onto that football field or on that gymnastics mat, they're not just practicing the day before and jumping on there and trying to perform, right? They've taken years and years of preparation in order to peak at that moment. And when you're selling your business, you got one time to do it, and you certainly want to peak at that moment. So, you you have one time to do this, do it right. Yeah, and that takes. All right, guys. Well, listen. Thank you very much for for being part of the wrap up today for 2023 and 2024, and giving us a bunch of really good information just on some of the mechanics that you can prepare you for any type of M and A market. And I appreciate your time. Grateful you came in and talked to me today. And for all of you out there, I hope that 2024 is the year that you decide to do this. I hope that you put in the preparation to make it a very profitable endeavor for yourself and for your family. Remember, you get to do it once, so do it right. Go out there and have an elite exit, maximize transaction value on your terms and without regret. We'll talk to you next time.